0: Jodcast, because there's no such thing as lockdown in space, with Ian Morrison, Haritina Mogashanu, Samuel Lesky, Bart Vladarczyk sroka George Bendo, Emma Alexander, and Michael Wright. The Jodcast, May 2020 edition. Hello, and welcome to the Jodcast. I'm Bart Vladarczyk sroka and joining me in the virtual studio today is George Bendo. Hello. The lockdown has disrupted us, just like everyone else, so this month we're posting a condensed form of the Jodcast, but we have the news for May, and Ian Morrison, Haritina Mogashanu and Samuel Lesky take a look at what's happening in the May night sky. So here is Emma Alexander with this month's news.
1: In the news this month, a potentially groundbreaking detection in the field of fast radio bursts, the breakup of comet atlas and has the mystery of disappearing exoplanet formalhot b been solved first up a potentially very exciting fast radio burst or frb we've talked about frbs a lot on the broadcast before there are several astronomers here at drotcol bank studying them but here's a quick refresher anyway fast radio bursts are exactly what they say on the tin a strong transient radio signal lasting a short amount of time The first FRB was discovered in 2007 from archive data, so it's still a relatively new field in astronomy. Although telescopes were detecting these bursts, it wasn't clear what was causing them astrophysically. We knew they had to have occurred outside our own galaxy, and must be very powerful. At one point, it was said that there were more theories about what FRBs are than there were detected FRBs. FRB detections are now coming in thick and fast, as there are more projects and equipment dedicated to studying them. These detections now include repeating fast radio bursts, and with repetition came localization and host galaxy identification. But it was still unclear what was causing them. A newly detected FRB might start to shed some light on them, however. Now, I will start this news item with the disclaimer that this is all very new, and although it is possibly something to be excited about, it's still also early days. On the 27th of April, 2020. A range of gamma-ray and X-ray telescopes detected a burst from the soft gamma repeater SGR 1935 plus 2154, a known magnetar, 30,000 light-years away in our own Milky Way galaxy. Magnetars are neutron stars with extreme magnetic fields. Small in size, but incredibly energetic. Their extreme magnetic fields can distort their shape, creating a tension with the inwards gravitational pull, and causing flares. They're one of the types of astrophysical objects that were theorised to potentially cause fast radio bursts. But in this case, everything looked like a typical magnetar gamma ray burst. Fast radio bursts had only ever been detected in radio waves, and never associated with any more higher frequency emission. However, the next day, on the 28th of April, CHIME, the Canadian hydrogen intensity mapping experiment, recorded an FRB coming from the same direction as the magnetar. Because the FRB was detected in multiple beams of the telescope, it could be pinpointed on the sky. Also, the dispersion measure of the FRB, which characterises how the signal is spread over time at different frequencies, and is indicative of how much stuff it has travelled through to get to us, puts it within the distance of our Milky Way galaxy, a first for FRB detections. Chime reported their detection in the Astronomers' telegram, and was followed up by the reporting of a second, independent detection of the FRB. This independent detection was made by Stare 2 a set of three radio feeds located in California and Utah, spread between 600 kilometres. It was designed to detect local FRBs, which we will seem much brighter than extragalactic ones due to their proximity, and to be able to triangulate them. Stare 2 did report fluence, which is a measure of brightness and duration of the burst, a thousand times greater than that of chimes, so the detections aren't completely consistent as they are currently reported. At its peak, the burst could have been one of the brightest radio sources in the sky, comparable to Cassiopeia A or Cygnus A. So what do we know for sure? Well, one of the possible theorised origins of fast radio bursts are magnetars. A magnetar in our own Milky Way galaxy showed a burst of activity, and subsequently a fast radio burst was detected coming from the same region of sky. It's too early to confidently link all of these things, but follow-up observations have been encouraged and we should hopefully know more details when full publications are released. If there is a link between all these things, it would be revolutionary within the fast radio burst field. As always, we will keep you updated. Next up, Hubble witnesses the demise of Comet Atlas, formal designation C2019Y4. The space telescope imaged the comet to find it had broken into pieces. Discovered on the 29th of December 2019 by the Asteroid Terrestrial Impact Last Alert System, or Atlas, the comet had been closely anticipated by many astronomers. At one point, its brightening suggested that it could become visible to the naked eye on its closest approach to Earth later this month, and could be one of the brightest comets of the past two decades. Now, the once football field-sized body has broken up into smaller pieces, with the biggest estimated to be the size of a house. Although this may be a disappointing event for many, it provides an exciting insight into comet fragmentation with comets bright enough to be observed typically only breaking up like this once or twice a decade. Definitely something to celebrate, as Hubble reaches its 30th anniversary in space. You can view the images of Comet Atlas and other content celebrating Hubble's birthday online. We'll put a link in the show notes. And finally, a new paper has been published which might explain the disappearance of Fomalhaut B. The object, in orbit around the bright star Fomalhaut, was announced to have been discovered in 2008 as an exoplanet, one of the first to have been directly imaged. Now iconic images of Fomalhaut b, taken by the Hubble Space Telescope in 2004 and 2006, appeared to show a bright dot in the path around its star, along with a ring of debris. However, further observations over time showed the object dimming and expanding in size, not your usual exoplanet behaviour, and therefore casting its existence into doubt. A new study in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences may shed light on this disappearing act. The authors suggest that Fomalhaut B disappeared because it never actually existed in the first place. Instead, the object Hubble saw in 2004 and 2006 was actually a colossal cloud of icy debris created by a recent violent collision between two planetary fragments when this cloud was first imaged it was dense enough to appear like an exoplanet might over time the cloud grew larger and more diffuse disappearing from view more work will be needed to confirm this but this new paper may be a key piece in the puzzle so long for B, it was nice knowing you
2: thanks for that emma now here's ian morrison with the may night sky
3: the night sky for may 2020 as darkness falls The constellation of Leo the Lion is falling towards the western horizon with its bright star Regulus. Over just to the east of south is a bright star called Arcturus, the brightest star in the constellation of Butis. Between the two is an area which, though there are no bright stars, is actually interesting. To the south is the constellation of Virgo, and above is Coma Berenices. And just to the left of Leo is a region of the sky we call the realm of the galaxies. And in this direction, we're looking towards the centre of the Virgo cluster of galaxies. This itself is the heart of the Virgo supercluster, of which our little group of galaxies is an outlying member over to the left of Arcturus and moving over towards the eastern horizon, you should come to the bright star Vega in Lyra the Lyre. Between the two, there are two constellations. Close to Butis is a circlet of stars called Corona Borealis, the northern crown. And then over towards Vega is the constellation of Hercules. It's four pretty well brighter stars make up what's called the keystone. And if you work up with monoculars from the lower right of that keystone towards the top, about two-thirds of the way, you should come across a little fuzzy blob. And that's M13, the brightest globular cluster in our northern skies. As the night moves on, that rather lovely region, Lyra, Cygnus and Aquila, start moving towards the south, with those summer stars, Vega, Deneb and Alta forming the Summer Triangle. We'll see those better in June. But high up, almost overhead, is the constellation of Ursa Major, the brightest stars forming up the asterism we call the Plough, or the Americans, the Big Dipper. If you look with binoculars, At the centre of the three stars that make up its handle, you will see it's a double star. The brighter is Mizar, the fainter is Alcor. Now for the planets. As May begins, Jupiter rises at about 0130 BST, shining at magnitude minus 2.4. It's then quite close to Saturn, with the two planets coming closer until the 18th of May, when they are just 4.7 degrees apart. During May, Jupiter brightens to magnitude minus 2.6, while its angular size increases from 41 to 45 arc seconds. With an elevation of about 12 degrees before dawn, a low southeastern horizon will be needed, and our views of the giant planet and its Galilean moons will be somewhat hindered by the depth of atmosphere through which it will be observed. Saturn follows Jupiter into the sky at about 0140 BST and by its end at around midnight, whilst its magnitude increases slightly from plus 0.6 to plus 0.4. At the same time, its angular size increases from 17 to 17.8 arc seconds. Its rings span some 37 arc seconds across and at 21 degrees to the line of sight are somewhat less tilted than they were at their maximum of 27 degrees. Sadly again, its low elevation before sunrise will somewhat limit our views of this most beautiful planet. Mercury rises out of the sun's glare and will become visible around the 12th of May, having a magnitude of minus 1.5, and lying well below Venus in the west-northwest. The two planets come closer together as Venus sinks lower towards the horizon and Mercury rises higher. They're closest on the 21st of May when Mercury lies about one degree to the lower left of Venus. By then, Mercury's brightness has faded to minus 0.7. Whilst it continues to rise in elevation until the beginning of June. Mars can be seen towards the southwest in the pre-dawn sky at the start of the month, rising about 0300 BST. It will then have a magnitude of plus 0.4 and the 7.6 arc second salmon pink disc. Initially it lies in Capricornus before moving into Aquarius on the 9th of May. By month's end its magnitude will have increased to zero and its angular size to nine point two arc seconds. Given good seeing, amateur telescopes could well now enable you to see some features, such as Certis Major on its surface. And finally Venus. It's still dominating the southwestern twilight sky, and as May begins will still have an elevation of about thirty one degrees at sunset setting about three and a half hours after the sun. But by month's end, this will have dropped to 30 minutes. During May, its angular size increases from 40 to 57 arc seconds. But at the same time, its phase, which is the percentage of the disc illuminated, decreases from 24% to 11%. And so the brightness only reduces from minus 4.7 which is about the brightest that Venus ever gets, to minus 4.2 magnitude. Finally, some highlights of the month. Late evening on May the 3rd, we have a chance, if clear, of watching a lunar occultation. As seen on the plot in the Jodrell Bank night sky page, just search night sky Jodrell, the moon will occult the fourth magnitude star, new Virginis. The plot gives the timing for London. Due to parallax, as the moon is quite close in astronomical terms, the times will vary across the UK and for Edinburgh, the ingress will be at 10.22 and the egress at 11.05. Before dawn on May the 12th, the moon, before third quarter, joins Jupiter and Saturn, On May 21st, after sunset, Mercury lies just below Venus. You'll need a very low horizon towards the northwest, and if so, if it's clear, you may be able to spot Mercury lying just below Venus at their closest approach. Binoculars might well be needed, but please do not use them until after the sun has set. On the nights of May the 23rd, 24th and 25th, Comet Panstars comes close to M81 and M82. If it's clear on these evenings and looking high in the northwest using binoculars or a small telescope, you may be able to spot the Comet Panstars as it passes the galaxies M81 and M82 in Ursa Major. I've produced a plot on the Jodrell night sky page that show its position relative to those galaxies, Bode's Galaxy and the Cigar Galaxy, on the three evenings. On May the 24th, after sunset, if it's clear, you might be able to see a thin crescent moon very close and over to the left of Venus and Mercury. Again, you may well need binoculars, but please don't use them until the sun has set. And finally, something on the Moon. A nice object, seen with a small telescope, is called the Hyginus Rill. And on May the 13th and 29th, it lies close to the Terminator. And that's a very good time to look for it. For some time, a debate raged as to whether the craters on the Moon were caused by impacts or volcanic activity. We now know that virtually all were caused by impact but it's thought that the Hyginus crater that lies at the centre of the Hyginus rill may well be volcanic in origin. It's an 11 kilometre wide rimless pit, in contrast to impact craters which have raised rims, and its close association with the rill of the same name associates it with internal lunar events. It can be quite easily seen to be surrounded by dark material, It's thought that an explosive release of dust and gas created a vacant space below, so the overlying surface collapsed, so forming the crater.
2: Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Haritina Mogoshanu and Samuel Lesky with the night sky where you
4: are. Kia ora from New Zealand.
2: Hello from the Southern Hemisphere.
4: I am Haritina Mogoshanu.
2: And I'm Sam Lesky
4: and together we're Milky Way Kiwi. We're here in Wellington, New Zealand, in lockdown. Everything is in lockdown. Space Place at Card Observatory is in lockdown. Museums, the government, everything.
2: Even the lockdown's in lockdown.
4: The lockdown is in lockdown. But, but this- we did
2: move to level three today, so that means you can go to McDonald's and get takeaway.
4: And the stars are still on the sky and they are more beautiful than ever because now we are moving towards that time of the year when the galactic center comes above the horizon and, and it's just phenomenal. So what are we going to look at in May? Well, we're going to look at the moon. The moon is out there in the sky, and Mm -hmm. it's quite big and makes a lot of light. And we're going to have first quarter moon on the 1st of May. And then the full moon is going to be on the 7th of May, which is bad. Like, it's bad for you if you want to look at the stars do not look at the stars when it's full moon. The funniest thing that I've noticed through time as I was working at the observatory, a lot of people come to look at the stars when it's full moon. But we are here to tell you don't because you're not going to see as many stars in the sky as you see when there's new moon in the sky, which means the moon is hidden on the other side of the earth.
2: I wonder if there's a correlation between the full moon and good weather. Because quite often, it'll be crystal clear when there's a full moon. <laughs> but when there's a new moon, it isn't.
4: You, you got me there for a second. <laughs> I believed you.
2: <laughs>
4: Don't believe him. Um, there is also a last quarter moon, which is going to be on the 15th of May. And very funny, haha, on the 30th of May, we're going to have first quarter again. So that's quite quite a cool uh, month when we have so many faces of the moon like too that many must
2: have a name must it? like banana mango <laughs> moon or something
4: well i'm sure if that doesn't have a name they be someone who, goat banana who will find moon. it yeah when when you have all the faces of the moon in one month what does that do on the other side we have scorpius and it's coming up on the eastern horizon i was watching it from the window coming rising and it's just gorgeous. And with it comes the center of the galaxy and so many beautiful deep sky objects. So for those objects, the best time to look at them is when we have new moon in uh, the sky or around that time. We're also here at Space Place at Car Observatory participating in a program by Globe at Night, where we want to measure light pollution from here in Wellington. And we actually went outside with our phones and the maps. We're we're looking at the stars in the sky. We measure how many we can see, and we compare them with maps that are provided by Globe at Night. And from our house, which is near the green belt of the town, so we have lots and lots of trees, which is very lucky, our sky is about five magnitude five. We can see magnitude five stars, which is spectacular. We have to squint a lot, but but they're there. So so it's it's really good. So now I'm just bragging, but it would be amazing if very many people on Earth and people who listen to us right now. I don't think we've ever done any call to action. This is our very first call to action. I'm very excited if they would go outside and support globe at night with their campaign to measure the dark sky and see how many stars you can see from from your house from from your porch from your tree from whatever your favorite places is, is around your house and make sure that you read on on globe at night there are a lot of resources what well, about what we can do on on light pollution because unlike any other kind of pollution, light pollution is the one and only where you can turn the switch off and ta-da, there's no more light. So we can get rid of it instantly.
2: And we want to encourage councils and uh, companies that use lots of lighting and stadiums to use smarter lighting. Lighting that doesn't create a big dome that goes kilometres into the sky, but just lights what you need to light.
4: And many times people who think of light pollution campaigns, they talk about it as being a bunch of people who want to have no lights in the city. There's always talk about safety and protection. And it's not true. What we want in light pollution is actually to have proper lighting of the sky. We want lights at night, but we want good lights. And we want the chance to see the night sky.
2: Well, we want lights because we don't want to crash into things. No, yeah, obviously. I mean, that's but but that's why we light it. So there's always a myth that you've got to light large areas for security and all this sort of thing. But you know, there's a lot of thinking happening now that this is actually really bad for the environment, really bad for birds and animals, and really bad for us.
4: So if we don't have light in the sky, this month is one of the most amazing months to look at deep sky objects.
2: So. Where do we start? Well, we Where could probably do we start? start.
4: Well, we could start with Scorpius.
2: Scorpius is going to be about 50 degrees above the horizon at a reasonable time of night, probably around 11 o'clock.
4: That's a lot. That's more than it is in Europe. Mm. It's kind of like 30 degrees above the horizon when it's at maximum.
2: Now, if you do go outside at you know, 6 when it's getting dark, uh, Scorpius is not going to be at 60 degrees above the horizon, it's going to be quite low. In fact, it's gonna be right on the horizon. So if you do go out early, you're not really gonna be able to appreciate it a great deal. But if you hang around a couple of hours you can. And there's some really cool things you can have a look at. Just south or just underneath to towards the southeast of, of Scorpius, is those really famous nebula, those really big nebula like Lagoon Nebula, Trifid Nebula, Eagle Nebula, you know, mm. the famous pillars of Pillars creation. of Creation, pillars which of course of is Hubble's birthday just, you know, We've just this had week. It. So you can go and actually have a look at that.
4: With the telescope.
2: Yeah, I mean it doesn't it's not overly bright that one, but I mean everything
4: looks <laughs> it's, like it's a better, smidge. Yeah, but
2: well well that one's better as a as an imagery. The better type, smidge. Yeah, if you've got a camera. But there's there's other nebulae there that you can see, especially the reflection nebula, because they're a bit brighter, they they don't have that red which you can't you can't really see, but you can with a camera. Um and of course there's also a lot of globular clusters in that area as well. I mean this is the centre of the galaxy, this area. So there's a lot going on. There's clusters, there's nebula, there's globular clusters. This this is, I mean, we're looking towards the CBD, aren't we? Towards
4: the CBD of the galaxy, I like yeah. that. And we see a lot of light pollution towards the CBD, which is...
2: The centre of the galaxy, the that big the galaxy. halo.
4: Yeah.
2: And of course, in that big halo, there's a lot of globular clusters, which is why we see so many globular clusters in that direction. Now, if you don't want to see the big city lights of the centre of the galaxy you can go and look towards Leo, which is actually not too low. It's you know it's high enough in our sky. It's about 30 degrees above the horizon, you know, at 10 o'clock. And if you, any later, it actually starts dipping down and get a bit lower. But there's a whole lot of galaxies you can have a look at there. But if you follow the tail, I guess it's called the tail, this bottom bit of Leo, which is, well, the bottom bit from this northern hemisphere, from the southern hemisphere is the top bit. And you've got the bit on the, the de- Denibola. Yeah. So if you follow that line from uh, Chertan to Denibola and keep going, then what you'll come across is that massive amount of galaxies in Virgo. Wow. Macarian's chain, you know, that, that mm. famous little kind of well, sort of circle, not circle, but a mm. curved line of galaxies, which is, you know, photographers love taking pictures of that. But you can see so many of these galaxies. Even with a moderate-sized telescope, you can see a lot of these galaxies. They're the big ones, you know.
4: As long as you don't have moon.
2: As long as you don't have the moon. So if you go down towards the horizon from McCurring's chain, then you'll start seeing those galaxies that people in the Northern Hemisphere are more familiar with, such as Black Eye Galaxy, Needle Galaxy, uh, M85... A whale galaxy, and then right down on our horizon, and you can't really see them from here, sunflower galaxy, M106, and of course, Whirlpool galaxy, M51, that very famous galaxy in the northern sky. We can't really see it here because it's right on the horizon. You have to be on a mountain. You're
4: saying, yeah, you have to be on a mountain and have a super mega clear horizon. Oh, yeah,
2: looking out to sea in the north, which is quite hard to do from here.
4: But we can go back and have a look at objects that are around the Saturn Cross. And we were talking the other day about the Saturn Cross and all those stars around Centaurus that they form another kiwi. And we were talking about all these kiwis that we can see in the night sky here in New Zealand. Like so many kiwis. And there is a word for that. The word is called paradolia which is when you... See shapes and things and uh, in clouds and and random shapes. You see, you you see things you you believe you can recognize. So <laughs> that's us and our kiwi.
2: Well, the bright kiwi is said to look at the Milky Way kiwi, which is the gas cloud shaped kiwi, kiwi, which is what do they call it in the north a horse or something. Uh, like.
4: What yeah, the dark horse we call it.
2: Yeah, so that's on in the south, of course, because it's out the other way. It looks like a kiwi.
4: And do you know, until I came to New Zealand, I had no idea what a kiwi bird is, let alone a kiwi person or a kiwi fruit. I didn't know, I didn't know there is a difference between kiwi fruit. Cause you know, in Europe, everybody calls kiwi fruit kiwi. And they always say, I'm going to eat a kiwi. <laughs> now, since I became a kiwi, we're like, no, don't eat us.
2: No, well, you're not allowed to eat kiwis, of course. Not allowed to eat kiwis in New Zealand because
4: there's like only four well, million, four and a half allowed. million yeah. Yeah, of us here. And the bird's protected. The bird's yeah. protected. Yeah, yeah, so tough. But but there is a kiwi fruit, there is a kiwi bird, and there is a kiwi person, which is, we are kiwis.
2: Well, five million,
4: five million of us, Yeah, yeah.
2: So getting back to the night sky, the Magellanic Clouds are not going to be as high as they have been, as we've seen right through summer, because summer's the great time to have a look at that patch of sky that's you know, around the Southern Cross, Eta Carina and all around there, and of course, uh, 47 Tucanae, the um, Tarantula Nebula, and those other really cool things in the Magellanic Clouds, in and around them. Um, This time of the year, Magellanic Clouds start going the bottom of their circle.
4: (laughs) They start going meh.
2: Yeah, they're going, oh, we hang around the horizon. You can have a look at Scorpius and stuff like
4: that. This must be jealousy. Yeah,
2: but, you know, it's still quite, uh, you know, they are still visible. They're not like they're actually below the horizon or anything like that because they don't, they're circumpolar here. No,
4: they're circumpolar, yeah. yeah. They, they just go around and around. But but they're up during the day, so down during the night. Yeah. Which but you puts can still, out on cross up. Yeah, well, you can
2: still see Torrential Nebula and uh, great things, you know, great objects like that. And of course, uh, the other objects that we we're so used to over the summer, uh, as I said, Edicarina, Carina Jewel Box, Pearl Cluster, Omicron Valorum, all those clusters in that other part of the Milky Way is still really visible. The beauties. But it's hard to compete, isn't it, with Scorpius and what that has to offer. You know, Ptolemy's Cluster, which you can see, in, which you can see naked eye, M- M7. You, that's, that's like a little patch Mm. That you can see just there sitting underneath Scorpius and you kinda of look at it, and you go, I wonder what that is. And you grab your binoculars, yeah. you have a look, and you it's see. A whole, seven. Yeah, we actually a whole I saw a whole bunch it of stars. From
4: our house. And as I was saying, from our house the limited magnitude is five. Mm. And that was still visible and bright and I knew where to look, but well, I think still.
2: it's magnitude three. Yeah. Something like that. And then you've got, like we said before, these the string of really beautiful clusters, Lagoon Neb no clusters, well they are clusters in the nebula, but the nebula really. So Lagoon Nebula, Trifid Nebula, uh, Omega Nebula, Eagle Nebula, the Sagittarius Star Cloud, all this really dense part of the sky, all these cl- all these stars, they look absolutely beautiful. You go crazy having a look at them. And you go crazy having a look at the um globular clusters as well.
4: And the good thing about it is that you come home from work at six o'clock. You can drag your telescope out and you can look at these stars all night long. This is the time to be here and and look at the galactic center because it's coming up at dusk and then it climbs up onto the sky. It goes zenith and then... You've got all this time to look and observe all these amazing objects that are in there. And for us here in New Zealand, it is winter time, so we have really long winters. And I'll tell you something. One of the reasons I love being here is because I can see the center of the galaxy, Scorpius and Sagittarius, all night long in wintertime. And I don't really care about cold or anything like that. But the sky is just magnificent this time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year in uh, the Southern Hemisphere here. It's just so beautiful. So many stars out there. And we're very lucky because with the light pollution, we're really good and we can obviously improve things but here in New Zealand you can see the stars coming from one horizon to the other horizon and the Milky Way goes up in the sky the center of the galaxy when it goes in up at zenith it just looks like the surf of the sea like the wave like the crest that is coming towards you is that beautiful and there are so many stars in 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 those skies Talking about
2: stars, if you don't want to see a star, but you want to see something really cool, well, I suppose it kind of relates to a star. Nice height in our sky at the moment, above 45 degrees, is the quasar 3C273, that very famous quasar.
4: So what's a quasar? Well, a
2: quasar is uh, it's all the energy given off around a supermassive black hole at the center of a galaxy. And sort of, you can... St- enormous amount of energy, this light you can see. So what's kind of cool about this one is it's it's over 2 billion light-years away. 2.4 billion light-years. Billion. Billion. Absolutely staggering. Now, you can see it with a reasonably sized telescope. You've got to get a quite can, a big telescope. Can we
4: see it with ours?
2: Yeah, we'll see it with the 16-inch. It's magnitude 12, well, very close to magnitude 13, so it's really, really dim. And it's like a you know, a, a, looks like a star, a point source. But that point source has travelled 2.4 billion years to get to your eye. So it's well worth having a look at.
4: And where is it? Well, if you go
2: north of macarian's Chain, um, north, <laughs> go up the sky, not north, <laughs> go up towards the zenith from macarian's Chain, past M49, and, and it'll be sort of sitting, yeah, kind of in that part of the sky, about 45 degrees up. To, to the left of speaker, and um, just below... Porima. And... Zania. Yeah, so I can't pronounce any of the star names, so Harry does that? I'm trying. But uh, 3C273, you know, imaginatively named as it is, is one of those easier real... To pr-
4: easier to pronounce than wow, Zania right.
2: and Porima. Wow, yeah, but it's one of those amazing things that you can see, and the distance is just mind-boggling. Not only is it, you know, outside our solar system, our galaxy, but outside the local group of galaxies. It's a long, long, long way away.
4: And you can see it.
2: It's like a little dot, like
4: point, a tiny like a star, thing. looks like a star. Right, yeah.
2: right. Because really at that distance, it's just a point source, like a star, but it's not a star. It's the disturbed mess around a supermassive black hole.
4: Wow. Mm. It is So daunting and beautiful to have these experiences and stop a little bit and look at these objects in the night sky and remember that we are made from the same stardust as they are.
2: And our planet is too.
4: And our planet is too. And also the other planets in the solar system, speaking of which, are in the sky. Some of them are in the sky. Venus is now on the western edge of the western edge and it will disappear from uh, the sky in uh, mid-May, but there are other planets that are coming towards the line of sight, Jupiter, Saturn and Mars, and obviously the Moon has this habit of passing by things. Because the moon moves around the ecliptic, right? So the planets are around the ecliptic, the path of the sun in the sky during the day. Planets, you can find them in the same place. The moon, you can find them in the same place. So once in a while, the moon has a close approach with anything It's in that really zone. Uh, Jupiter will be on the 12th of May, will come very close to Jupiter. And then it will come very close to, what do you know, Saturn the day after. And then... Two days later, it will come very close to Mars. So just watch the moon. Watch the moon around mid-month that will pass by all these beautiful planets. As you get through the month, Jupiter
2: and Saturn will rise earlier and earlier. So you'll be able to see them You know, before midnight, about 11 o'clock. Mars, though, doesn't really get much higher. Because of the way the orbit of Mars and the orbit of Earth, so you're going to have to wait a little while for that one to to get up there, well into sort of June, July, for it to get earlier. So you'll just have to, you know, stay up to the wee hours of the morning to have a look at Mars. But if you uh, like your sleep or you've got to work the next day, but you can still check out Jupiter and Saturn by the end of the month, a little bit earlier. And, of course, they're well worth looking at. Jupiter is just amazing to see in a telescope. You can see the bands on the planets easily. And, of course, Saturn with those beautiful rings. Really stunning.
4: We can't wait to see them again. Yeah. We've been missing them for the last month. But we did have a very good look at Venus, which was spectacular in in the evening sky and very bright. So now we have Jupiter and Saturn and Mars to look forward to seeing And also just remember all the other spectacular icons of the night sky here in the Southern Hemisphere. Southern Cross is really high in the sky and is visible and it's at its highest position. It kind of almost points down, showing us where South is. And Scorpius, again, we want to put this constellation out there for everybody to have a look at. And you know what? In New Zealand, we don't have scorpions, so it doesn't look like a scorpion. It looks like anything else. Actually, it has so many names throughout cultures that it's not even funny. But here in New Zealand, not only that has all the names that all the cultures that came here brought with them, but Maori here they have different names for the same stars at different times of the year. So at this time of the year, Scorpius is Manaya Kitarangi, which means the guardian of the heavens. And it does look like a guardian of the heavens, so beautiful. And it's got that characteristic shape of a Manaya. And those of you who came to New Zealand and bought one of those green jade ponam stone made jewelries um probably surely you 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 came across a a manaya which is like a reverse hook so that's the name of scorpius this time of the year our beautiful guardian of the heavens and Scorpius holds the galactic center and we're going to go into the most amazing time for galaxy hunting and deep sky objects and everything that is around there, not just at the center of our galaxy that is prominent, but all the other galaxies that we can see in in that region of the sky that is for us here in New Zealand on the northern part of the sky. So, from here from New Zealand, we wish you clear skies and we want to say, turn the light off, please. And come join us for the Globe at Night campaign this month and every month, but this month in particular, because we're starting it.
2: Yeah, so turn your lights off, enjoy the night sky.
4: So, Harry and Sam from here from New Zealand, we wish you
2: a really awesome May and get out there with your telescopes and your binoculars and if you haven't got those just get out there with your eyes and soak up the sights of the night sky.
4: And remember that we're made of the same stardust as these beautiful beautiful stars and keep safe.
2: See you next time.
0: Thanks for that Haratina and Sam. We don't have any feedback for this month but if you want to get in touch you can do so via the website at www.jodcast.net Twitter at twitter.com slash jodcast Facebook at facebook.com slash jodcast YouTube at youtube.com slash jodcast Flickr at flickr.com slash groups slash jodcast
2: and don't forget that you can send us posts the address is on the website
0: so for this month the editors were Tian Beswidenhoyt Joseph Winnicki, Lizzie Lee and Tom Scragg. The producer was Michael Wright. Until next time, Jordan.